Father, we thank you that you have been so gracious to us, that you have provided for us such a rich environment in which to live. We are so blessed in this country, and we know that the foundation in this country was set by the tenants in your word. And we ask, Lord, that these same tenants, these same teachings, these same principles would become part of our lives. And we thank you for your grace and mercy that you extend to us when we fail But we know we have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Father, we we pray that you would strengthen us in our walks, that you would strengthen us in our discipleship, that you would teach us about the failings of the Hebrews and their temptations and how, Lord, we can avoid the same pitfalls that they encountered. So fill us full of your wisdom and full of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week in chapter 1, we covered the seven things concerning Jesus Christ, that he speaks, that he is God's son, that Jesus is not an angel, that Jesus is God, and Jesus is to be worshipped, and Jesus is the creator, and Jesus is eternal. The premise of this entire book is that Jesus is superior, as I mentioned last week. But as we get into Hebrews chapter 4, after Paul, I believe, who is the author of this particular book, after he goes through this list of seven things, He says, therefore, in the King James, it starts with therefore. In the NIV, it's a few words after that, six or seven words after that. But if there's a therefore, I was always taught by Mike McIntosh, if there's a therefore, you want to know what it's there for. He he wants you to go back and use the previous statements as a basis and therefore go on because of this first thing, go on after that and carry out these acts or believe these things. And so in Hebrews chapter two, verse one, it says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. And if you remember last week, I talked about drifting away, like over Niagara Falls, if you're upriver from Niagara Falls, you want to be careful that you are moored to some type of stone or to a dock and it is secure if you're in the boat because you don't want to be going over the side because chances are you're going to die. Did you recently read last week this guy who went over the second time, first time he made it? Last week he died. He tried it again going over Niagara Falls. And that can happen to us as believers. We can shipwreck our faith and we want to make sure that we're not getting anywhere close to shipwrecking our faith. How many here have ever been to the top of Half Dome in Yosemite? How many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The top of Half Dome. Who has put their legs over the edge of that rock? One. One. I did it too with Eric. Hoorah. Right? You get this feeling on the inside. I can't describe it to you, but it... You're looking down, what is it, Eric, Two or 3,000 feet straight down, something like that. And so you're just sitting on the edge of this precipice. Your legs are hanging over the side, and you just look like that. And even that leaning forward, it gives you this sense of danger on the inside, like danger, Will Robinson, get back from the edge. It, it is going to destroy you. And the Lord tells us there are certain things in life that will do that to us as well, that it, it causes us to just go, wait a second, don't go there, don't be doing this. You have to avoid this because you run the danger of shipwrecking your faith or going over the edge. And so we want to make sure that we're never found to be drifting away and he lines up actually i think it's a total of uh five or six reasons here but i'm going to give you two 
why these Jews need to be careful not to drift away. In the first one, he says, as a basis for doing what I've asked you to do, there was a message given by angels, and I'm going to read it in a minute here. And he says, in the past, this message was given by angels, and all these words were binding that they had given in the Old Testament. Angels were instrumental in guiding the nation of Israel, uh, especially before Moses came and after Moses came. Remember, Abraham was there. He was visited by three angels, and one of them was actually the Lord. And this is in Genesis chapter 18. And that's when the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah took place. And these angels came along and said, look, we're going to destroy this town over here. There's wickedness there. And remember that Abraham was bargaining to save those particular cities because he didn't want to see them destroyed. And also, if you remember in Judges chapter 13, you had the father of Samson, Manoah, and his wife, an angel of the Lord, and it was God in human form, appeared to them. And angel or messenger, it's the same word, but God is referred to as that. I believe it's a theophany or Christophany in the Old Testament. He is also referred to as an angel or as a messenger. And then the second reason he gives, not only is there the message given by angels that was binding, but acts of obedience were judged. So he gives two reasons why you want to make sure you're not drifting away. The first one is the angel's message. The second one is the act of disobedience. We are all judged. Remember in the book of Genesis chapter six through nine, you had the flood. The flood came over the entire world. And it is believed that the population of the world at that time could have rivaled what it is today that there could have been six or seven billion people on the earth at that time when the flood came and God wiped it all out except for eight people. And God did this because he is a righteous judge. He has to always judge sin. And he will always judge sin. There's not one sin that he will not judge. And even our sin, our sin has been judged, but it's been covered by the blood of Christ. And so they are wiped off the slate. That's how it works. And so he says every act of disobedience will be judged. And also the Jews in the wilderness, remember, they were judged. They had to wander for 40 years because they lacked faith. They didn't trust God. And they were judged because of this. Numerous kings in both Israel and Judea were judged. If you go through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you see these stories of all these kings who were disobedient. There was only just a few. You can count them on one hand that did anything close to being uh, good in the eyes of the Lord. So speaking to the Jews, if they ignored the words of angels and they ignored the judgments of the past and how they will not be judged if or how will they not be judged if they ignore jesus so jesus comes along he is the messiah that's set up and if they ignore jesus being jews and he's supposed to be the messiah and he's giving these text proofs and i'm, I'm going to give you the scriptures here in a minute he's saying if you ignore that what is left for you he's it's a rhetorical question there is nothing left for you in verse two it says for if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Remember, he's talking to the Hebrews that had the Old Testament law in stories. They understood everything that is being written here in the book of Hebrews. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various, various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So he's adding to this proof text. This is why you need to believe this. The angel's word is binding. Every judgment that was passed or every sin was passed 
uh, under judgment and there was a price to pay for that. And the same applies to us. If we know and understand the scriptures and the testimony concerning Jesus and we ignore it, why do we think that we will escape judgment? There are people that believe this. I I was just uh, reading up on a couple of atheists. One is John Loftus. John Loftus is a disciple, quote-unquote, of William Lane Craig. Uh, You may know these individuals, you may not. But John Loftus, he, he walked away for his own personal reasons, and now he is an evangel for atheism out there. And he has just simply walked away. There is another individual that grew up with, uh, I, I shouldn't say grew up, but he was in ministry with Billy Graham. And he ended up walking away uh, from the faith. And he is also a heathen. Uh, I think actually he passed away. But Billy Graham and him were like this. And he just fell away from the faith. And he walked away just because he reasoned in his mind that it can't be true. And so if, if we look at scripture, if we understand what is there, if we understand you know, in our hearts, we know what right and wrong is. God has placed that in our hearts, right? Does anybody walk around thinking it's okay to murder somebody? Somebody who's a psychotic thinks it's fine, but we know that they're deranged. Everybody who is normal or halfway normal knows you don't go start stabbing somebody or shooting them just because you want to. Now, there's a different view over in the Muslim world, and they think they can do it because God is pleased with that. That is a religion of death. But the rest of the world just goes, no, that is just not right. We also know it's not right to take something of somebody else's. We have this internal witness inside of us. We can't just go up and take something because we want it, right? Or you can you can have a woman, but you can't have any woman if you were a man. And I don't mean that in a sexist way. The same thing applies to the woman. A woman can have a man, but she can't have any man that she wants. Because we have this sense that, you know, marriage is like sacred. And these things are commandments that are in Scripture, but they're written on our hearts. We know what right and wrong is. And especially when we have the Holy Spirit guiding us, we absolutely know. The Holy Spirit comes along and says, ah, 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 and you go, oh, come on. No, no. And you want to push a little bit. The Holy Spirit just pulls back, says, okay, go ahead. He will not violate our will. And so if we understand these things from Scripture, we understand that in the past the law was enforced. We understand that the judgments were made. And if you say, yes, I know Scripture talks about angels and their witnesses of the Messiah. Yes, I know the acts of disobedience were judged by God in the past. Yes, I know miracles established Christ in his ministry. Yes, I know gifts were and are being given to the church. And yes, I know that I or we are going to be subject to Christ when he judges the whole world. If we take Christ and set him aside, we are drifting away. And we never want to do that. We never want to take Christ and say, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing. Now, you know, we all know somebody who is committed to Christ and then somebody who is half committed. You can judge for yourself. Nobody has to point anyone else out. You know in your heart if you are committed. I know in my heart if I'm committed to Christ or if I'm committed to the flesh. Uh, Patty and I, we've had this running joke for a couple of weeks. I don't like customer service. I, I get so frustrated 
at customer service sometimes, I just about lose it, you know, and, and I, it takes everything within me to rain back in my mouth. I, I just, you know, I just want to go all Tasmanian devil on the individual, whoever they may be. And, and I know that I can't do that. I know I have to remain circumspect. And I know that if I, I don't do that, that I'm going to blow my witness, that I'm only living for Christ half-heartedly, that I'm giving in to the flesh. We all know where we are if we are honest with ourselves. Now, we're always going to fall short because the ideal is perfection. And we're not going to reach perfection. And so we don't need to live under this cloud of, woe is me, schleprock, I have this cloud around me and everything is going to go bad and I'm the pig pen and I'm, you know, in the mire and muck. And you don't have to do that. You can simply say, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to press forward. I'm going to press towards the mark for the prize, the high calling of Christ Jesus. And that's what he asks us to do. But we want to make sure we're not saying, you know, there are things that are more important to me than fellowshipping the apostles' doctrine, prayer, and breaking of bread. Yeah, I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to clean the bathtub. I, I'm going to, like I'm the landscaper, right? I'm going to install some grass on Sunday instead of be at church because my front yard needs grass. And I could, I could easily do that. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stay home. I could stay home and say, you know, my nails, I, I, need to, I need to trim them. Now, you see how ridiculous that is? Now, come up with your own excuses. And we all do it. You know, I, I could easily do it. I can come up with them in my mind. Why? I don't have to do something. And then I set myself on the throne. Hey, let me explain something. Hey, Bob, 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 no. I want to ask you, do you have, uh, do you have, two dollars on you or a dollar no, no? <laughs> you have one now i want to demonstrate something yeah here stand up stand up i want to do something here okay so if i come up and i say all right i have these glasses i'm going to sell you these glasses right i don't need glasses i know you do okay <laughs> and you take them and i have two dollars and i say thank you very much now hang those glasses right here no no, just, just put them back. Just put them back right here. Okay, so I, I come over to her house and I see her there and I have this $2 in my pocket, right? And I come up and I say, give me a hug. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. Give me a hug. Give me a hug. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for those glasses. I got those. Now, if I did that, what am I called? I am a thief, right? And I still have your money. I am a thief if I did that. Let me ask you a question. Were you bought with a price? You were. What if you say, no, I'm going to take back my life and I'm putting it on my throne and this is what I'm doing on Sunday or this is what I'm doing with my morning devotion. I am going to forsake that for what I want to do. You are taking what is not yours. You are taking your life and you are putting it up on a throne and saying, I will rule my own life. And if you ask Christ every time you or I wanted to do that, if you asked him, what do you think, God? Do you think I should do this? He would turn to us and say, what do you think? And then you get to choose. 
But you know whether or not you're choosing to give your heart wholeheartedly to the Lord or just a little bit. Uh, in, early in my Christian walk when I got saved, I was zealous without knowledge. I would just, I would run through a crowd of heathens and there would be people laying by either side because I just, I wanted them to accept Christ, but I really didn't know how to do it. And I had somebody, I had a friend in high school. We were really good friends. She was a girl. And her mom came up to me. I was a bartender a little bit after this. And they asked me to bartend. I, I was still a Christian. And I, at that point, I said, okay, I'm not drinking anything, but, you know, I'll still do my job. And they've asked me to do a job. And so I go to this private party. There were doctors and lawyers and everything there, and they asked me to bartend. And this mother of this girl that I went to high school with, she comes up to me. She goes, oh, I heard that you're going to church. And I said, yes, I am. I thought, okay, here's another inroad. Hopefully she won't be a casualty, you know, and, I, and I'm... I'm talking to her. She goes, that is just wonderful. I think that's great as long as you don't go overboard. And I I thought, overboard? Is there anything else besides Christ? There is nothing else. And and because of the teaching that I've received from my pastors, Pastor Mike and Pastor Dave, you know, they have just been so great to instill in that in me. I can take no credit for that whatsoever. And Pastor Chuck put it in them. You know, and hopefully I can pass that on to you that our lives are not our own. And when it comes to being a disciple, God wants us to give our heart fully to that and not say, no, I'm on the throne. We are not to be thieves with our own lives. We are purchased with a price. And so that's how we know If we're doing what we're supposed to do, if we ask God in every situation, do you want me to do this? Do you not want me to do this? He'll let you know. You you just get this understanding. It's not that you're going to hear a voice from heaven saying, yes, go left, young man, something like that. You're not necessarily going to hear something like that. You may. God can speak in various forms and in various ways. But we want to make sure that we are not drifting whatsoever. And so the author of Hebrews, he continues to make this case and not to drift. The entire world is subject to Jesus and not to angels, as we're going to read in a minute, and that Jesus is now exalted above the angels. We'll get that in verse 9 and also in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus had come in human form form and suffer in order to help us. Those three things added to the first two that I gave you, that the word of angels is binding and that judgment came upon all sin. So he lays out five different things here. Actually, he says, because of these things, this is what you need to do. You need to keep from drifting. And I'm going to establish that through the scripture here. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Now to the Jew, they would recognize this immediately from being from the book of Psalms, chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. So the person writing the book of Hebrews is saying, you know these things from Scripture. He's appealing to Scripture. He goes on to say, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him, referring to Jesus Christ. Yet at the present time, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He was our intermediary. You know, the book of um, 
Philippians. It talks about him suffering and dying, become, being obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God has given all this authority to Jesus Christ. We are subject to him. As believers, we are subject to him. But the unbelievers are subject to him as well. He is the creator of everything and everything will return back to him and he will make judgments. In view of this, what kind of people ought we to be? It's like traveling for a trip. Do you make preparation for a trip or you just go down and buy a plane ticket and get on a plane? You know, if you're doing that, you're going to end up somewhere that you're going to miss something. You're not going to have something in your possession like it used to be. Remember these things called traveler's checks? Remember that? We used to have to get traveler's checks and you could write a traveler's check and you could take that. Now it's just a card. Or if you go to some of these foreign countries, you have to have crisp new $50 bills or $100 bills. They won't take any creased or cracked or dog-eared bills, that type of thing. If you didn't make preparation for that and you got over in another country, they're not going to accept your money. You're not going to be able to stay anywhere. You make preparation for the trip. This is our preparatory period. Whenever we plan for a trip, you know, I try to get the bags out and I go, okay, what do I need? And then the toiletry bag, you know, what do I need in there? And I got to go through that six or seven times, dump out the whole thing. Or, okay, do I have enough? No, I, got, I can't take that. That's too much. And how many clothes am I taking? Well, I don't want to take too many clothes because then I'm going to be just carrying around these clothes all the time. We make these preparations. Are we all making preparations for heaven? God tells us he's going to judge us, right? He's going to judge us in such a way that our reward is going to be up there. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about it. Wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. We are either gathering up wood, hay, and stubble, which is just rotten works. Just things that you think amount to something that are done out of the flesh, they amount to nothing. Gold, silver, and precious stones are those things you have done with a selfish, selfless motivation. You don't look to get any reward for it. You're just doing it because Christ first loved you. He first loved me. And so he's going to judge us. Are we all preparing for that? This is what Paul, the author of Hebrews, is telling the Hebrew people. Look, there's a time in the future. It is coming. We need to prepare for this. Make sure you don't drift away. Going on. He says in verse 10, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Of course, this is a quote from Psalm 22, verse 22. And again, I will put my trust in him. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 is what he's quoting here. And again, he says, here I am and the children of God, children God has given me. This is also Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. He goes on to say, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And this is one of the verses we get the doctrine that Jesus is 100% man and he is 100% God. He is not 50% man and 50% God. He is 100% man and 100% God. How those two are together, I have no 
idea. I cannot explain it to you. God can explain it when we get there. We just simply know that scripture declares it. And so this is a treatise, especially against the Gnostics from the first and second century that said Jesus wasn't really a man. That was the first heresy. Not that he wasn't God. They didn't believe that he could be a man because everything material is evil. Therefore, God could not be a man because material things are evil. And of course, that was a heresy that was debunked in the second and third centuries. So it goes on to say, that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Let me stop there for a moment. At some point, from our perspective, should the Lord tarry? Should it seem like he's putting off his return? If that is the case, all of us in this room are going to die. We're going to get sick. And I've run across people, even in this church previously, who have said, if you have enough faith, you don't have to die physically. That is just Looney Tunes. That is out there in Mars land somewhere. Scripture never said that. It says we are under a curse. And because of that curse, all men, referring to men and women, will die physically. Unless he comes back for the rapture, we're all going to pass through that door. We're going to get older. We're going to get broken down. We're going to have to go to the hospital. And one day, we're not going to walk out of that hospital. With that in mind, do you fear what is to come? Because it's kind of like the unknown. What happens when you die exactly? Do you you just immediately transfer to heaven? Do you go to purgatory? Do you wait there for 10,000 years until you work off some more of your sin? Do you just go to sleep until Jesus raises you from the dead? What is the proper doctrine in that? What are we supposed to believe? I believe scripture teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so as soon as we die, we're in the presence of God. Now, there is some debate as to what form we will take because our physical body is somewhere down here decaying in the grave or in the ocean or burnt up, something like that. I'm really not sure how that's going to work out. But he tells us we're going to be immediately with him. And so when we die, Scripture declares that we make this transfer immediately, kind of like the rapture. When the rapture takes place, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15... When it takes place, it'll be as fast as the light reflecting off your eye as a twinkle. You know how fast that is? That's 186,000 miles per second. That's pretty fast. One minute, you're going to be in your corporal body, not even a minute. In one twinkling, you're going to be in your corporal body, and the next twinkling, you're going to be in heaven. It's like, boom, you're just right there. It's going to be instantaneous. Will you be shocked? You're going to, whoa, you're going to immediately be there. And that's what God tells us. Now, he has given us this promise. And we can sit there and go, but I'm so unsure. I I don't know what's going on. But you don't believe God's word? No, I do, but I'm, I'm just fearful. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so this idea of death, it's just going to be like another ride. Have you ever been so sick you thought you were going to die? Has any, any of you ever gotten sick from alcohol? Did you think you were going to die? <clears throat> well, something like that. Or maybe you've been in the hospital and you think, well, I, I just don't know if I'm going to make it or not. You can just 
rest in peace. And God says, don't worry about it. Got it covered. You got a new body. It's going to be prepared for you. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be wonderful. I bet you can't wait. And you're going, no, I can wait. I'm still fearful. And God says, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and the things you're going to do tomorrow and what's going to happen to you. God says, just move forward and put this fear of death to the side. But the world fears death because there is this certainty that it is unknown for them. And they fear that somewhere down deep inside, there's going to be a judgment. That's why there's this fear of death. That's why a lot of people of the world don't like to talk about death. And you hear the commercials on the radio saying, it's time to talk about end of life. Now, if you're going to talk about end of life, talk about Jesus Christ, right? Get him down first and take care of your family and everything else. That's, that's all good and that's secondary. But make sure you're not walking around with this fear of death. For surely in verse 16, it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted and so jesus what this theology is declaring here is that and i'm going to wrap it up with the whole of the bible is that there had to be a sacrifice made for our sin because god is just and he always judges sin and so if we have a sin it has to be forgiven or atoned for if it is not atoned for We die spiritually forever, and it is a punishment without ending. Unless we go to Christ, who is a faithful high priest that had to be made like us in every way. It was our responsibility to go to God the Father and make intercession. But none of us were perfect enough to do it. We could not approach God the Father. That's why God became man. He was perfect became the faithful high priest who was able to go to God the Father and present his own perfect blood because life is in the blood. He gave his life and that was the price that had to be paid for our sin to be forgiven. That's what the theology of this is encompassing. If Jesus had not have come, every single person that has ever existed would be thrown into hell. But because Jesus came, and he was that faithful high priest, not only does he intercede for us to God, but he understands our weaknesses as well. We have weaknesses in our flesh. We have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The lust of the flesh, uh, one of the lusts of the flesh is feed me. Right? And feed me, like, what's your favorite food just think about your favorite food is it italian is it donuts is it steak is it just something that you can munch on you know out back slicing that thing a filet and it's just bleeding out a little bit and putting it into your mouth and or is it a juicy hamburger that just drips out the see as i'm talking about that you're going i'm getting a hamburger or something afterwards (laughs) your flesh just desires it when you're really thirsty you go i could just oh i could just use some water your flesh does that to you you need sleep right 
It was something like that. You have the sexual desire. The, bo- the body says, I need to fulfill this. That's why immorality is just rampant. It's because we have not been able to control that as a society. But God says, I will give you the strength to control that. And Jesus was tempted in every way, such as we were too. Do you think Jesus ever got frustrated? Just look at his disciples. I bet he did a face plant or face palm at least a couple of times. Oy vey. You know, you know, Peter or one of the other disciples or uh, John and James, who's, you know, I want to sit on the right-hand side and the left-hand side. We'll get mom to intercede for us, you know, and we'll do that. And hey, what are you guys thinking and here? And so he would, I'm sure he was frustrated, but he didn't go into sin with that. And, and see, he was able to live this life and deal with those lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Jesus never came off the cross and said, look what I did. He, he was humble in this. But we do something, and we want praise. We want a pat on the back. Yeah, yeah, I did this. You want me to tell you about it? I can tell you about it. Yeah, let me explain what I did. Oh, it was so great. Oh, it was so hard. But, you know, I came forth. I did it. You know, if you want to talk like that's the boastful pride of life. That's what that is. And on top of all that, you have Satan, that little meme that's up here saying, go ahead, sin. And you go, no. And you go, yes, you like it. No. And you go back and forth and you don't want to give in to that. But Jesus was tempted in that same way. We know that he was right. Turn this rock into bread. I will not do it. Man shall not live, or man shall live by the word of God. And, you know, the, the bread of life, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm misquoting that right now. But you get the picture, right? You get the picture that Jesus went through all of this. And so he was one of us. He interceded to God and made salvation possible. That's what this is talking about. And because of all of these things, he says, don't drift. Because Jesus is our faithful high priest, the word of angels was binding, the law that was given, judge sin. And so we want to make sure that we're staying in line with the teaching of God. We're not drifting away. We're not redeeming back our own life when we were bought with the price. My encouragement to you, if you think, well, well, I'm just failing all over the place. It's okay. God's grace is much bigger. God's mercy is much bigger. It says his mercies are new every morning. If you think you're blowing it, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you just say, God, thank you for your mercies and that you forgive me. And you're going to set me right. I know you are because you have promised to do so in your word. And so we can all be encouraged by that just as Paul is encouraging the Hebrews. May God strengthen you in your walk. May you be able to say no to the things of the flesh. And when you fail, the righteous will fall seven times and seven times they will get back up. And we're able to do this because the Holy Spirit lives in us. That is the gift that he has given to us, the gift of love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Hebrews and the teachings that they were given through the Apostle Paul and the book that he wrote here to the Hebrews, we'd ask, Lord, that you would help us to just keep these things at the forefront, that there is a judgment to come, that there are reasons that we can stand on your word, that there is a track record of things that have gone on in the past, just as the Hebrews were reminded of history. Help us to keep in mind this same history, that you are waiting for us, You desire to extend to us again that mercy and grace. And I pray, Lord, if there is anyone here who is feeling condemned, may they understand 
that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that you forgive us our sins. You are faithful and just to do so when we come to you and we ask. So Father, strengthen all of us in our discipleship. Help us to be completely sold out to you and not given to the ways of the flesh, the ways of the world, or the ways of Satan. In Jesus' name, we'll do this. And everyone said, Amen.